Hi, honey. Hello. <laughs> it's been a while. I know. Welcome Thank to you. a conversation with Joshua T. Berkland, and I brought my lovely wife with me uh, today because this subject is something that we're both very, very passionate about. I keep, I'm used to my camera being there, and I moved it's it tricky. over here. Yeah. You know, this it's is hard. this is professional broadcasting at its finest, folks. Um, anyway, thank you so much for being here. We are on the Live Mana Network. You can find us by downloading uh, our apps, but the easiest way to find it, whether it's the App Store, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, you can just scan that QR code there in the corner, and you will find links to everything that we're doing is at the Live Mana Worldwide Foundation, all of our apps for the network, uh, and there's some other fun stuff there as well. So. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, today is a very special guest. And as I said, I invited my wife to be a part of it because we both are very, very passionate about mental health, but also we're very passionate about our youth. And we have an amazing doctor here uh, who is just doing some incredible work. And you guys are just, I think you're going to really love this conversation. You have anything you want to say? Uh, well, I mean, the youth is, is my thing. Um, it's my what I've education and experience in, so I'm very passionate about it, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. The, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest. So the neurodiverse teacher, Dr. Kristen Eggleston, feels passionate that everyone should see how amazing they are, especially our youth. However, years of working in education and advocacy have shown her how hard feeling different from everyone else is for students that are neurodivergent and or struggle with mental health needs. I was this kid. I was this kid. And the reason why I think you chose me, chose me to marry me because I was that, you know, challenging child that was in a grown man's body. Well, and I know I can name so many kids that are like this, that I used to, uh, to work with. And I mean, it's, it's not talked about enough. People don't realize that they need extra help, that they're not just bad kids. No, and I think that we're all created extraordinary. And I, I tweeted this yesterday because, you know, I love Twitter so much. Um, is I think our education system that we have, that we most of us walk into, especially with public schools, we walk into it and I think it makes us dumber. Because I listen to our kids talk, they're five and seven years old. I'm hearing what comes out of their mouth. They sound like professors sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's odd. Oh, so it's like, so cute. what? And I know I was really smart as a kid, but when I went into school, the and way that they taught everything wasn't good they, for me. They dumb it down and it, it, kids are just little sponges. So how you talk to them is what you're going to see come out of them. So if you talk to them like an intelligent being, they're going to start sounding like smart kids. If you talk to them like an idiot, I mean, they're kind of sound. There's that. And then there's the fact that we have more children that, at least from what I can tell, we have more children that have quote unquote special needs and whether it's autism, whether could be DID or borderline personality disorder, or there's even depression. You know, there's the often overdiagnosed ADHD. There's all of these different things, but also the other factors that we have to look at um, that are changing the way children are, up be are being brought up is what their family dynam dynamic is like. More parents are divorced. We have, it's just crazy. Like there's, it seems like all the warfare that's going on in the world 
And it's tough enough being an adult, but it seems like there's an attack that's blatant on our kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's what's in our food. I don't know if it's what we're being taught. I don't know. So anyway, with all that said, I am super excited uh, for you guys to have doctor for I'm excited for this for myself, but also I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this interview as well. She is a fantastic woman uh, from what we can tell, and she's up to amazing things, and I can't wait to learn more about her with you. We'll be right back after this very quick message. smart enough to come up with the right questions. I'm really going to need God on this one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Dr. Kristen Eccleston. Hello, Dr. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you, and I'm just, I I don't even know where to start, but, uh, well, I know where we'll start with the first thing I ask everybody and the only thing that's ever planned. What are you grateful for today and why? You know, I think I'm most grateful for you all right now for giving me the opportunity to have a platform to really share a message that's important to me. Talking about mental health, especially mental health and education and with youth is really important. It's something that I don't think is talked about enough. So I am grateful that you were willing to allow me to come on your show and, and share my message with everyone. So thank you. I appreciate that gratitude. Yeah. Um, so why... 
why specialize with kids? Like, what was it about working with the youth? Because your education is extensive. Like, it's not easy to get one degree. <laughs> you, you've got a bunch. And you've really dedicated yourself to this 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 practice and understanding children, the youth. And, and with that, I would imagine the desire to make children better so we make the world a better place. Why, why did you choose children? Absolutely. You know, so I think it has to go back a little bit to my youth and the fact that I'm an individual with ADHD, didn't know I had ADHD until I was an adult. So I spent most of my life going through school, struggling in school, trying to mask that I was having struggles in school and not really feeling great about myself as a learner or, and who I was. And it took a lot of my young adulthood into my adulthood to really overcome that. And so when I had the opportunity to become a special education teacher, I really loved that I got to work with kids and connect with kids and take some of my own personal experiences and apply that to them, really knowing how they feel about school, how maybe some of their dislikes or their disinterests, I could really relate to it. And so I think that's really how I got connected with youth and just feeling that it was really making a difference. I think so, so many times as a teacher, you hope that you get the opportunity to have that one student that you know you made a difference in. And I have to say, I am very blessed and very grateful to know that I had more than one in my, my career or my profession as a teacher. And I just, I'm so grateful for that. And being able to see their growth and the difference that having that one person in their corner or that one person who believed in them could make in their life was really meaningful to me. And I wanted to make that larger scale. And as I went through my career as a special education teacher, I eventually had the opportunity to create a program specifically for students who needed a higher level of academic care. And when I, I first, First went into that experience, I wasn't sure what that was gonna look like. And I had a wonderful team of individuals around me and it, it ended up being the creation of a program specifically for students with mental health needs. So those internalizing students, those students who are often overlooked because they're not that squeaky wheel, they're not throwing desks or getting attention. They're the students who are school avoidant, right? They, they fall into the background. Maybe they don't have great they don't have great connections with teachers. It's so easy to forget they're there. They stop going to school. Maybe they could be A plus students, but they're getting C grades. So nobody's getting this red flag kind of vibe from them. And those were my students who I really wanted to make sure had extra care, something special associated just for them at school. And I that was kind of my crusade for mental health. That's why I went back and got my doc doctorate looking specifically at mental health in the education setting. and just making sure that students could graduate from high school feeling like they know how awesome, how amazing they are, that if high school was their thing, wasn't their thing, that didn't define who they were as an individual and they could go out and find success and happiness in the world. I've, uh, one of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. Mm -hmm. And I had, I was a troubled kid, um, was sexually and physically abused and so mentally, which I know now, which was, you know, DID is what I it all developed into. Mm. But I had other issues too, hyperactivity. I mean, it was all the works. It was seemed like it was, here's the bag of struggles you were going to get mentally. Yeah. So I hated school and I always thought I was dumb. I didn't fit in, had trouble sitting in class, couldn't pay attention, like all the things. And 
And when I read, the words would dance around the page. And what I later learned was dyslexia. Well, it, it took until partying my way out of college to realize, oh, I'm smart. I just need to learn differently. Yes. And I wish now looking back at it, because now I'm a sponge. I mean, I, we have books all over this house. I taught myself to code. I taught myself all these different things to do with media. And I'm now I know I'm a really smart guy, but the education system that I was born into made me feel like a freaking idiot. And I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt dumb when I, I stuttered when I read out loud. All Again, all of these little things. And come to find out, really, if I was just taught differently, I would have been able to pick up on it quicker. What is it that, why is it that we, the school system has this one size fits all approach to teaching when we know we're all different? Absolutely. So if you actually want the the, the real answer to it is we're, we're still working in an outdated operating system. A long, long time ago when you had people in power like the Rockefellers who were able to get on education boards and say, this is how we, we're going to fund these types of educational programming and this is what it's going to look like is because they were trying to create little factory workers right? They wanted little people lined up in desks. Here's a bell, raise your hand. You move to the next thing that you're supposed to go to. We're still working in that operating system. We've never moved out of it. Uh, there's this great YouTube video and I'm blanking on the name of it, but this person goes through, if you look at what a car looked like 50 years ago, what does it look like today? A phone and so on. And then you look at a classroom, nothing has changed. We've not updated it. We know so much more about the brain and how the brain works, but we've done nothing to change how we are giving education out to students. And one of the saddest things, and you touched on this, and it just breaks my heart, is you have so many kids who are neurodivergent or struggling with mental health. And, and I truly think of a lot of people who are neurodivergent to be incredibly smart, like the world changer type of individuals, the ones who could cure cancer. And we have made them feel like they are so for lack of a better word, stupid or not capable or not, not as smart as their peers when really they're the ones who are going to be able to make huge changes in our world, but they don't realize it until later. Like you said, as an adult, now I know I'm not stupid. Now I know I'm a sponge. Now I know I can do all these things, but they lost so much of their youth and their young 20s where they didn't have that confidence and missed out on opportunities because for a long time, they didn't think they were capable or didn't know they were capable because school wasn't being taught to who they were as a learner. They were told, you have to fit into this box or you're not you're not as smart as your peers. And then you see that you see other people being successful in that box and you think, well, what's wrong with me that I can't do it? And then you're right. It comes down to had I been taught a different way, had I had opportunities to experience or grow or have topics of interest, I would have come out of school a much different person. And I think there were so many students who fall into that category. And it's just sad that we, we are creating this, this society or this box for students where it takes them so long to be able to come out the other end, if they come out the other end, knowing I'm actually much more capable than I ever thought I was. It, it seems like they're more concerned right now at, at teaching kids how to listen to adults, how to follow direction, not how to uh, grow what they already have inside of them into what it's supposed to be. And mm -hmm. it, I mean, for our own kids, it's, it's 
so discouraging to hear what they learn if they can even think of what they've learned, which I mean, Joshua, every time I, every ask. time it's, <laughs> oh, our oldest is seven and recess. she hates school. Mm-hmm. She likes recess. She did. She told me not to tell her teacher because she doesn't want her teacher. Like she, she wants to appear to be like the perfect kid when she's at school, but she hates being there. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And it's because we are keeping kids back from, we're natural explorers, right? We we want to be able to explore and, and, and be kinesthetic and hands-on. And, and in school, there's components of that, but it, it's not how we are really going forward with with teaching students. And you ask the question of why is it that we're just making them complacent and just listening to adults and responding to them and and not essentially taking away some of that critical thinking skill. But again, I think it goes back to that old outdated operating system is that's how people in power wanted kids to be, right? We wanted you to come out of school and be my employee and make me more money. Don't question me. Don't don't question my authority. Just make me more money. And, And in that is something that I think we now know is outdated, but we haven't quite woken up and, and are attuned to that. So we're still okay kind of going along the operating system because in theory, there are still people who benefit from having other people who are making them money. And and that's not usually the, the platform that I, I push when I'm talking about mental health and education, but I definitely think it's something that needs to be considered when we're looking at how school is structured and how we are really limiting individuals from being entrepreneurs or having creative ideas or being successful and even just look at the type of subjects that are being taught in school. Well, and they can't, they, they, so the school that our kids go to, they've been in the news for like horrible things recently, like racist remarks at all, all these sporting events of just awful things. Um, so one of our daughters came home singing. She was so excited to show me the song oh. she learned and it had hand motions and it, um, it very simply referred to uh, white people being better than people from different continents. Mocking, so, mocking other ethnicities. and So, of course, I sent an email, one of my many emails that um, they try to avoid because they don't, they don't have a solution. They send me these links to how they're going to handle it. But ultimately, I, I read all the links and it's just saying, oh, yes, everyone's important. This is, we care about you, but there's no actionable steps on there's, I think 2% minority in our girls school. Mm -hmm. There's no actionable steps for the children that are not the minority to teach them real life. Yeah. So the, uh, the question that I pull out of that for you is in a, we have a lot of segregated schools still, whether that's just by the small town that you live in, whatever it may be. But what kind of damage with all the stuff that comes out of the news and pushing the different movements and the different agendas, but yet here it is in your little community of people, you're all white people, but yet you're seeing these different agendas and different movements and people bringing attention to racism as they should. 
Uh, maybe not in the manner that some of it's gone about, but nonetheless, there it, it is an issue. It should be talked what about. kind of psychological damage is it doing to the children by not being, well, by being in segregated schools and but at the same time, hearing all this different stuff about what's happening to the races when everything they can see around them is someone that looks like them. Prime example, our children, when they come to where we're at, they because they'll spend some time with their, a week with their dad and then a week here, and they're around more races. They're around Indian people. They're around African people. They're around Muslims. They're, all, they're around more color, more, <laughs> more life, if you ask me. And that messes with their minds. As parents, what can we do? Like, say we're in that situation and there's other parents listening that are in this situation that are dealing with the same thing she just brought up. Mm. What are some things parents can do to help their children with the understanding that people look differently and that's perfectly okay? I think it's all about having conversations with your children. Uh, I'm going to be very honest. So I grew up in a very diverse area. So, you know, it was funny. I had friends of all different colors and it wasn't something I really thought about. And as we got older, my husband and I ended up in a, a community that happens to be more predominantly white, not choice, just circumstances. And it's funny. We, we, we have students of color in my children's school and it's something that we've always tried to not make a thing like your, your friends are your friends. It doesn't matter what their skin color looks like. It doesn't matter what their background looks like. I never wanted to draw any kind of attention to it because I never wanted skin color to be a determining factor of any means for my children. And so I think the messages I've always tried to give my children, if, if they ever have pointed out race or cultural differences, is just, that's a person. That's a person. And you should just look at them as a person, not what their skin color is, not what their religion is, not what their background is, just as the person. Are they being kind to you? Are they are they a good friend? Are they somebody who you enjoy hanging out with or interacting with? Because those are really the only factors that should really be at play here. Not what they look like, not where they come from, not what their parents' house looks like, none of that. And that's really been the message I've tried to give my children. And, and I hope is the message that others will try to give their children. Because I feel like, at least in my opinion, we can't get rid of history. We can't get rid of the past. We can't get rid of things that have happened that are horrible, um, horrible, horrible things that have happened. But we can move forward with how we are giving our children certain messages. And some of the messages I'm at least trying to give my children is we should be looking at everybody that we interact with is who they are as an individual and not how they appear on the outside. And, And I'm hoping that if a generation or two generations get that messages, then hopefully that will start to be an impact that we need to see that we're we're looking at each other based on who we are as a person and how we treat each other and not how we look. And I, I, well. I would say that's exactly how our philosophy unknowingly maybe has been up until recently, recently now that they're both been in school all year and with all the issues there, it's kind of like a, like a rubber band, it feels like when they go, we have to fix everything when they get back and then they go there and it's clear that there is an abundance of racism in the homes of their friends. So it 
how do you how do you handle that? That's a really great question because unfortunately, a lot of that comes from home. Do you yeah. know what I mean a lot of that it's comes from home? And those are the messages that you know you're giving your child the same message. It sounds like I'm giving mine. If we look at the person for the person and not what they look like, but that's obviously not what's happening at home. And that, that becomes a large factor in so many different things and race and mental health and just in how you operate as a family unit or system, right? You can't control the messages that are happening in other people's households. And then your child goes to school with kids who get different messages or different value statements, right? Than what you're being provided at, in your household. And that, and that's hard. So I think in certain, situations or circumstances or situations like that, the best thing you can do is to have conversations with your child and explain to them that there are some people out there who, and I, would, I wouldn't I would use ugly language because I feel like that's just perpetuating the cycle, but sure. using the people have personal biases because that's what it is. Personal biases that they have been experienced or gone through in their life that have only led them to a certain point of knowledge because you don't know what you don't know. And because you have these personal biases, you see the world a certain way. And the most important thing to me, at least in every individual is you have to know that you have limitations on your knowledge. Everybody does. You don't know what you don't know. And you have to be open to saying, I don't know everything. And that's why I want to hear other people's opinions. That's why I want to hear other people's experiences, because I'm looking for those ah, I never thought of it that way moment, or that's really interesting. I've never had to experience that in my life. So now that I'm hearing it from somebody who has, now I understand better, or now I'm, I'm more clear in my thinking. And, and that's called transformation, right? That's a transformation way of thinking of knowing, I don't know everything, but I've now elevated my knowledge. And your, your goal in life really should be to keep elevating your level of knowledge, right? opening yourself to other people's opinions, other people's perspectives, and keep growing as somebody who sees the world as this big thing of just forever growth, right? And not become stagnant in your thoughts. I think sometimes we want to say to people that, oh, you've changed your mind, or you used to think this way, and that it's negative that you've changed your mind. It shouldn't be negative. <laughs> you now have new information. You now have seen something from a new perspective. And as a result, you have shifted your mindset. You have more knowledge or a better understanding than what you previously had when you previously thought something different. And so I think that's something that you need to explain to your children is some people will get very stuck and very limited. They have their personal biases and instead of allowing themselves to be open to learning more or having a deeper understanding, they tend to become stagnant and cut themselves off from that growth. And you can't control people who are like that. And it's unfortunate, you just can't. Hopefully they'll have a moment of growth or a moment of clarity that allows them to see something more. But until then, all you can do is know that you don't align with those views and that you want to be open to better understanding others. That's great. We, it, that is really beautiful. And we've made the choice, uh, at least in our world, um, together as parents and uh, ever since I've come in the kid's life, especially, and I'm not, I'm not taking credit for this, but like since we met and like I've been involved when we got married, you know, one thing that we've really been, and, and really it seems at times like we're doing the wrong thing, but we've decided to be boldly honest about everything with our children, um, including, you know, I, I have a pretty crazy past and having DID, in fact, my DID, as much as I had healed from it, 
I carried over some of this into the relationship. Mm-hmm. So our first couple of years were, have been an, been an adventure wow. where I've had episodes where I've been different people. And then mm-hmm. here's the thing, the kids could pick up on it. And we made the decision to be honest and have that mental health conversation with them about what happened. So they know, and they asked how it happened. Well, I told them, I mean, I dumbed down the, you know, the language and in the description, of course, of what the abuse was, but we did explain that sexual abuse does happen. We did explain that physical abuse happens. And so we'd had this approach with them and I, and I like it because it's really, I mean, again, they're five and seven and -hmm. there's at times I'm going, Oh my God, have we told them too much? We opened up their eyes to a world that they didn't need to see, but I, 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 I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is, is it good, like at that age of five to seven, to have these honest conversations and one about race and racism, but also, I like to, I don't like to say mental illness. I like to say mental uniqueness mm-hmm. because it does it it makes you quite unique. Um, and I believe that some mental illnesses can be considered gifts. Like I look at my DID, especially now that I'm healed from it, mm-hmm. as a gift. Yeah, how I got it wasn't, but it's allowed me to see in a world, and you brought up the Rockefellers, and uh, we could spend four hours there, <laughs> but it's allowed me to see the world almost with a 360 view, mm-hmm. and I like that. Is it dam- Is it more damaging to be just upfront and honest with kids that age or to keep pretending that there's really an Easter Bunny and a really a freaking Santa Claus? I think that's a great question, and so... I'm very fortunate in my life that I have people who are my friends who have very different beliefs than I do, but we're able to come together and really kind of debate our our, our viewpoints um, in a way that's like a loving, respectful way and still love each other at the end of the conversation and it not be this ugly thing. And I actually happen to have had that exact question come up with somebody who I trust very much and we talked through this. And I think where we landed at the end of hashing it out for almost an hour was you really have to know your kids. You have to know who your kids are and what they're capable. Because there are some kids who at a very young age are very ready for complex thoughts and Mm -hmm. complex things. And given the, the, the setting that they live in or what their family has been exposed to, it's important for them to have that opportunity to have had things explained to them or brought up to them. And then there are kids who psychologically aren't ready for that. Some of the concepts are too complex. It just clouds their mind a little bit more. It it makes it complicated for them. It puts thoughts or ideas in their heads that they now use, some children use as a manipulation factor or they're they're saying things, but they really don't understand the concept or the meaning of it. So, after really debating that that concept with my my friend for an hour, we really just landed at knowing your kids is really what it comes down to. And so you as the parent need to establish great relationships with your kids, know who your kid is, know what they can take in and they can comprehend and understand and what they can't, what's too much for them. Because I do think that you could have the same seven-year-old, right? You could have two different seven-year-olds in front of you and you could share a concept and one is going to be very, okay, I get it. I understand it. My family's been exposed to this. This is a concept I get. And another one who's just not psychologically mature enough to process the concept. So 
it really comes down to knowing your kid and, and knowing your family dynamic and what is going to be most healthy for you. Because there might be times where a very complex situation should be told to your child because otherwise they don't understand what's happening. And it's scarier for them than rather than having an understanding of what they're experiencing and going on. So I think you have to look at it circumstance by circumstance and then who your child is as an individual. Well, I think that's a perfect uh, answer. And I think both of our daughters seem to thrive once we just tell them the truth. They, I mean. They didn't like the Easter Bunny one, though. Well, <laughs> they were fine with it because they said you can still, we can still like hide eggs. Okay. But that was the, the real only deal, reason they were fine. The real deal that historically what happened was. And then we told them, and then I forgot that I told them that we could still hide eggs. So then that led to a meltdown. And then I remembered and we were good. But mm -hmm. here's my, my next question is, well, because I feel like where they're at, at at school and everything they're surrounded by, I feel like we have to work extra hard to instill more wisdom in them. Mm -hmm. um, but how, how can a parent communicate effectively with a school that has this sort of mentality and has such a, I mean, they really do avoid answering my emails unless I have a question after I tell them about this racist song my kid learned at school. Mm -hmm. how, how do you address it in a way that will get actionable reaction? So I would actually, in those circumstances, at the end of your email, put in questions in there. I would like to know what your plan is to address this concern. I would like to know what the school is doing right now to ensure that this doesn't continue. I would like to hear what your plans are. So so put it back on them that you're not just say, hey, I'm, I'm making you aware of this circumstance because then there's no request for an action at that, right? You've, you've told them and okay, I read this email and I'm done with it. But if you specifically say, I wanna know what you're doing, what is your plan? How are you addressing this? What is this going to look like? Then you're asking for them to give you specific feedback on what they're going to be doing. And if you still feel ignored after that, then I wouldn't be afraid to, to elevate your concern. Usually most school systems have some form of central office, depending, even if it's a smaller school system, some form of central office. Uh, units of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion usually are somewhere in each school system. So if you feel like you're not getting the appropriate response, I would bring in whoever that person is in charge of that department for the school system into the conversation as well, because it's not so much for them to just gloss over it. That's a real concern that you have as a parent. And it's a real concern, especially what's going on climate wise and society wise. And so you would like to know specifically what their course of action is going to be. I mean, it sounds very reasonable how, how you're wording this. They have sent me the links to how they're handling it. There's two links. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty positive. It's a small town. I don't think mm -hmm. they have anybody. Like the principal offered to call me and explain mm -hmm. it to me. But it's the same. It, it's just, it's full. It, it's just kind of a glazed over response mm -hmm. to a real problem. And I went to the superintendent and it's all just, oh, is there someone from the outside you can involve? 
Uh, so if you ever feel like it's it's getting to that point, don't, there's always a state board of education usually as well too. So if you feel like your district is smaller and so they don't maybe have the resources or the people who can be, uh, who can answer to this, go to the state level because they're all of these uh, positions at the state board of education as well too. So bring somebody in from the state. Um, usually the state would have to get involved with the school district. She, they're going to be kicked, they're gonna be kicked out of school. Before. No, they're not even well, going to make it out of the year because maybe of her. Maybe going to help them to get kicked out because I mean, I feel like they're just turning my children into. They cannot be kicked out. You are protected by FAPE, free and appropriate public education. So there's no kicking out there. And this is a real issue. I mean, a real issue, especially if you're talking about racism. I would find it very hard to believe that if it got pointed out media wise that your children were kicked out of school yeah. because you stood up to racism. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who are on board right now. Oh, you just gave her yeah. a license to oh, yeah. like you wouldn't believe. Okay. And I've already been doing I want to, I want to move the subject a little bit um, to ask. I want to ask the question before I ask the real question. When I say out of your body, what is the medical term for that? When you're disassociated? Well, like, well, yeah. oh, okay. There you go. So how is it? So like I learned my, my disassociation came through trauma. Mm -hmm. When you have a young child though, that has no history of physical abuse, sexual abuse, things like that. Is it possible? Cause I believe in generational curses and all of that. And I don't know if that falls into the field of psychiatry or not, but I do believe in generational curses. Because I, my father's sins became mine, but I did way worse than he did. Uh, thank God I've broken that cycle. But when I, when you're seeing a child disassociate that has not been abused mm -hmm. or in physical, sexual abuse, anything like that, what could that come from? Is that is it possible to come from something generationally? So exactly, actually, you started to answer my question or answer oh. your own question. What of what I was going to say, but. I call it generational trauma and you don't necessarily have to have had a traumatic childhood to have had childhood trauma. And a lot of that can be from that generational trauma piece. And I consider myself somebody who could fall into, I have amazing parents, loving parents. I had a wonderful upbringing, but I still had things that I dealt with. And it was because of that generational trauma piece. And I'll give you an example of this. So you could have somebody, we're going to make him the grandfather in this example, the grandfather who has yeah. had mental health needs. No, no, no. In this example, he's had mental health needs, right? And because of his own mental health needs, maybe he has parented his child in a very traumatic way, maybe very aggressive, abusive, verbally aggressive, right? So that's how they have parented their child. So now that child is an adult and has a child. So now we're on the third generation, right? And even though that child of the original grandparent didn't have mental health themselves, they learned how to parent based off the example they were given by their mentally ill parent, right? And now they are parenting their child in the same style or manner. Maybe it's aggressive, it's abusive, it's because that's how they learn to be a parent. So now that child grows up to be an adult. And they do the same thing. They parent aggressive, you know, verbally abusive, and it becomes a generational trauma. Nobody since that original adult has had a mental health need, 
but everybody is acting in a way that they did because that was how they learned and observed how to be a parent. It's not till finally one of those generation goes, something's amiss here. This isn't right. I don't think I should be reacting this way, but that you can finally start to break that generational trauma, but it takes that level of awareness and then that willing to, willingness to do something about it. And that's just kind of one example, but that can look so many different ways that you don't know, it goes back to what I said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know that there's any other way to parent or there's any other way to respond or react to a situation, you can only go what you've been exposed to of what you've learned yourself until you have an outside factor who brings to your attention that there is another way. And I think you're seeing more and more of that generational trauma starting to be broken because information is way more available than it's ever been before, right? We're not stuck in that home, small town, isolation that it's been. And we're more aware that, oh, that wasn't normal for me to have experienced that as a kid. Everybody didn't experience that as a kid. And that's why I think we're, it's starting to be more of a topic and you're seeing more people doing the work to break that. That's, I, I love that. And, mm -hmm. you know, the thing, you bring something up too. I spent so much of my life hating my father and all that hatred just you know, poison my soul, poison my spirit. And it fed a lot of the, the angst in my, I was a chem sex addict for 20 years. I found that was my comfort. It was that. But when I turned my life around, one of the realizations that I had in this moment of when I go screaming and cursing at God about why he wouldn't fix me and change me after trying all this stuff. And I heard, you have to forgive your father. How in the F am I supposed to do that? Because it happened to him too. And whether that was God, my subconscious, what, I don't know, but I take it because of the preceding things that happened, that it was definitely God. When that realization hit me, all of a sudden I was able to have compassion for my father, which set the stage for me to be able to forgive. Mm -hmm. And it was the going, he learned it from somewhere. The same way the guys that molested me, the women, all of that. Yeah. And that was really profound for me because you're right. Our parents, like I can see now all the amazing things that I learned from my father. I mean, look, there's still things that I go, probably shouldn't have done that. But he learned it from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And now I'm able to see through the healing journey, which there's a lot of layers to that, as you know. But now I'm able to only see the value and the great things that he brought to my life. And I can appreciate the challenging stuff now where before it just fueled my hatred. So I really love that you said that. No, I'm glad. I'm glad because I think, I think that applies to a lot of people. It, it's not until you take a minute to go, well, why were they like that? And you realize, oh, they had this experience or their parent had gone through this experience that probably bled into how they parented. And, and and I'm not saying it excuses, but again, it goes back to you don't know what you don't know. You are going based off the example that was provided to you. And, and oftentimes I think, especially as children, we forget that our parents had a whole life prior to us being present that was probably filled with incidences or traumas or events that that unfortunately at times does bleed into then who they are as a parent. So I'm glad that that was impactful because I, I do believe truly that that is a lot of what happens. And you don't necessarily have to have had a traumatic childhood 
to have had childhood trauma if you are still dealing with generational issues of people not knowing what they didn't know and continuing cycles that existed maybe three or four generations ago even. Let me, I want to ask you something too, and I hope that this is not an offensive question uh, at all. Are, are you, are you, is your, are you a psychiatrist or a psychologist? So I'm actually a background in education for oh. mental health, specifically mental health and education. So you're not, so you're, you, you're, you're not into prescribing the medications and things. I like do that. not. I do not. I am. So my process or my background is specifically neuroprocessing of how our brain learns. So that's a little bit of why I'm able to talk on that is I am able to specifically see how our brain makes the connections to the different things that we experience and observe. So you believe that we can heal ourselves then? We have yeah, that ability. I do think we have that ability, but I think it takes a level of awareness. Like I said, you can't be stuck in that stagnant, my, you know, going back to personal bias, you can't be, this is where I'm at. This is what I know. And I don't want to know any more than here. You have to constantly be open to saying, I don't know everything and I'm going to keep receiving and keep building and keep developing my perspective and how I view things and how I see things based on the information that's coming in. And that's, that's, there's a theory called transformational learning theory. Jack yeah. Mezzaro is the theorist behind that. And, and I believe strongly in that theory that we can constantly be changing what our understanding of things by the new knowledge that we're taking in. To prove your point, how I healed from DID initially was retraining my triggers. That was a big part of it. And of course, then you, I mean, there's, there were so many more steps after that and it was a process, but it started with retraining my triggers because it would keep me from switching, mm -hmm. like learning to do that. And then slowly but surely became more present to where I was able to see. And then of course the fun, which was the last few months, uh, actually the, so it's really- I got the last few months. Yeah. Yeah, I got to, the last few months, I got to work on healing. And I realized that I was disassociating by default mm -hmm. when things were uncomfortable. So, I mean, it, it's crazy what you become aware of, what God will tell you when you're open to it. And it sucks. It's hard work to go through. But then when you get to the other side, it's just, it's amazing what you'll figure out. She was a huge help too, because she never let me penetrate her boundaries. Mm -hmm. So when she would see me switch or see one of the other altars show up mm -hmm. and she would know it wasn't me, she would shut down and go. Like she, we, we divide, I, I shouldn't say we, you did it. Um, but I honored your boundaries. Somehow that happened because I never respected anyone's boundaries before. But that healing process, when God brought us together, mm -hmm. it started with her literally holding her boundaries, holding me accountable. And if she saw me even try to pretend to be someone different than I was, she was out. It was wild. But that helped me become more aware also. And I believe that that's how ultimately I healed. I'm not going to say that I may not switch it in two hours, but I haven't switched in months. Okay. And I, and the beauty yeah. is I got to learn coping skills at 42 years old, <laughs> which has been fun, but I'm grateful for. So I love the fact that you come from this mindset because, you know, I was prescribed eight different medications at one time. And like I went through all of that funk and one day, which I don't recommend audience at all, do not do this. I did it and it was crazy, 
but I just stopped taking all my medication at one time. I did that too. And that, I don't recommend it, but that's what I did in that moment. And I had to ride out the crazy, but it ultimately ended up working yeah. and it's what helped me heal. So I think it's really, really cool that you, um, you know, you, you approach mental health from this manner through education and teaching and things we like make that. more people like you are needed, especially now. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think my biggest message is I don't want anybody to ever feel like they're a lost cause or there's no hope for them <clears throat> or that things couldn't change for them. I have had trauma in my life. I've had bad experiences in my life. I have things that have felt like, how am I going to move on from this in my life? And it's hard. And I'm not saying it's easy or it's even an enjoyable experience to go through. But I think, but often you just have to have that hope and that hope and and, and the universe, God, whoever your, your power is or where your power comes from. Because I really, I try not to be, you got to find what works for you, right? Yeah. I grew up religious, but you got to find what works for you and hold on to that and know that that power will bring you to the resources, the people, the experiences in your life. But sometimes you have to go through some of those changes for a couple different reasons. One, so you can appreciate when the good comes. And two, it's a growth. It truly is a growth that's going to help you get out of whatever stagnant place that you're in because we as human beings don't like change our brain doesn't like change our brain wants to protect us change is a scary thing it's its job is to keep us alive and as long as we're alive even if we're in a bad situation our brain goes well you're alive so it can't be that bad right so sometimes these circumstances come into our lives or these scenarios or these bad situations because it's a way to force us to move to not be stagnant, to have to embrace the change that we may otherwise not have wanted to go through. And so I feel like once we can accept that and know that we'll, we're going to have to deal with difficulties in our life, but know that you always have the ability to transform who you are. You always have people who are willing to accept you, support you, and that you are you don't have to remain stagnant. I, I truly believe that People, even people who have done bad things in their life, there's redemption. There's an opportunity to come back. And I really hate when we feel like we've made people feel like there's no coming back from your mistakes, right? Because I think we often forget that if that's the message we're going to get, give people that you can't come back from your mistakes, then why would they ever decide to come back from them? Why would they ever put the effort into coming back from them? So I'm going on a different topic, but you know, no, I know this topic. is a great topic. It, it's the perfect topic, especially mm -hmm. for our audience, because, you know, this is, it's a very diverse group, but most of them where we align is mental uniqueness former addicts, former junkies. We have former porn stars, prostitutes, drug traffickers. I mean, you name it. It's a very Muslim atheist, bisexual, transgender. We have a very diverse audience. And I, I love it because they hear me talk about Jesus, but at the same time, I'll have Muslims and atheists. And I don't, because what you were saying before, you don't know what you don't know. And, and if your faith, and I believe this with all my heart, how great is your faith if it can't be challenged? Mm -hmm. Like that's part of building your faith muscles, having it challenged. Yeah. But I want different points of view. I love learning from different people. Um, and, I, and I'll never apologize for that. Like I love it. I love my Muslim friends. I love my Buddhist friends, 
our Hindu neighbor friends next door. Love them. And I'm not even going to judge them based on their beliefs because you know what? If, if we're here to love and be love and to use our gifts to bless other people and I'm seeing someone do it, I don't need to know who they worship. I don't care. It's none of my business because worship is a personal thing. My relationship with God is a personal thing, even though I talk about it, <laughs> but it is still personal. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I love this about people and I love different approaches because we don't know it all. I remember when I was homeless, I read Vishen uh, Linakani's book, Code of Extraordinary Mind. And that was the very first book. And I'd never read anything like it in my life. I grew up Baptist church, couldn't stand it, hated it, still became a drug addict anyway. Like none of that, it didn't help me. But when I read Code of the Extraordinary Mind, it made me go for the very first time in my life, I'm 36 years old, go, oh, I'm not crazy. All of those things that I'm seeing in my head are what's possible, not I belong in an insane asylum. And that was a life changing. And this is a guy in his book that's mocking religion. Okay, I'm okay with that. Alan Watts is my favorite philosopher, not exactly a Christian. So I love these, I love the different points of view. I like you're right. And here's the other thing, too, that we're all waking up to. Most of what we've been told in our life has been full of crap anyway. It's all been a lie. We've had we have over 60 books removed from the Bible, so it's not even the complete book. We've had we have we've been women weren't allowed to vote. We really, if we knew the true history of Africa, we probably wouldn't act the way we're acting now as white people. I mean, there's just a lot there that is going to come uncovered, and we've all been a victim to it. We've all been born into some version of propaganda, and it's no wonder everyone's so confused. So I want to ask you something, and then I want to hear about your your amazing developmental center that you have. Um, What? Oh, just lost it. Dad gum, and it was such a good question and a beautiful segue, and I lost it. Center. No, before that. Oh, I feel you. That happens. Uh, been the drugs I did a long time ago. What now? No. Hey, I, ADHD. This happens to me all the time, so I, I understand. I'm there with you. World. Yeah. Anyway, I I that really sucks. No, it, it'll probably come to me later. Can you tell us about your passion project? Because when I started to read about it, I got really excited, and I could just started to. I started to envision franchises of this all over the world because it seems so important, especially in a world where everyone has been gaslit to hell, especially our youth. Our youth feel like they are a victim of some kind of crazy psychological operation, and it rips my heart out right now. And when I was reading about your center, I thought, this is the future. This is how we're going to heal kids. So can you please talk about it? Sure. So it stemmed from a program that I was part of making several years ago. And I feel strongly that I really want the opportunity to help schools develop an opportunity for students to come in and have a different way of being exposed to learning and development. One that takes into account their mental health, their well-being, their being neurodivergent. It's not that one size fits all box. It's really an individualized way of learning. And 
most school systems, what they don't realize, there is a law that's free and appropriate public education. And if a, a school system cannot meet the needs of a child, they end up having to pay for private placements of schools that can meet the child's needs. And that costs school systems upwards of set like five. 4 million, 10 million, I mean, millions of dollars a year in having to pay for private placements for students instead of restructuring the, the education setting that they have and making it so that they can be inclusive of the students that they have. And so my passion project really turns to wanting to go to different states, different counties, and even around the world and helping them develop a program that I know is a great program that I've used in the past that children did find success in, but it's not a one-size-fits-all program. But even with that being said, you can serve upwards of 58, 60 students and still make it individualized and have it be successful within a public school system. And that's my passion. I want to help public school systems show them how they can help serve these students within their own walls, giving them certified teachers, access to curriculums, but doing it in a way that is tailored for students that will help them feel empowered, successful, and really embrace who they are as a learner. Which that is so mean. Which basically, that's code for knowing their identity and learning their identity and getting comfortable with it early. Because the one thing that I will say that changed was a game changer for me was when I just accepted and realized who I was and just acted accordingly, where I quit caring what other people thought. I was so comfortable with who I was created to be and getting to be that. It, it took a lot of pressure off because me trying to fit in and be like other people didn't work so well. And society is like really kind of forcing. And it was like that when we were kids too, mm -hmm. where you want to be like the movie star. You want to be that. No, you really don't. And I've been able to see that. Fortunately, I got behind the scenes look working in, in the entertainment industry and like seeing what that really is and the facade that it is, it was kind of disappointing, honestly, because I had, you know, I had stars in my eyes and thought that this was the, 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 the was everything. And then reality struck and was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I just want to be me because being, getting to be me is pretty freaking awesome. Yes. And one of the things about having a relationship with God is that I do know that I was uniquely made. So why in the hell would I want to be like someone else when yes. me is extraordinary enough? Other yes. people may not agree with it, but I think my wife does, so I'm okay no, with that. No, I, I agree. And that's one of the biggest challenges kids have right now. They're just, they're so afraid of being different and being seen oh, yeah. different and then almost to the detriment of themselves. And that's my biggest message that I want for, for our youth, especially is embrace your individuality that you are beautiful and wonderful as you are just as you are. And there isn't this need to have to be like everybody else or blend in with everybody else. I love it. That's beautiful. You, um, if the public schools end up falling apart for whatever reason, we, we tutor our kids. <laughs> I was going to go bigger than that. Well, yeah. We, so as we are a foundation, we're a nonprofit media organization, but we have our own broadcasting network and things like that. But we have a mission for the youth and especially troubled kids, inner city kids, because of, well, what their schools are like. They're not exactly being taught, of course. And then culturally or in their community, if they want to rise up and be something 
while greater than what their parents are, they're shunned by their own family. Like, so we want to develop, and I'm sure you're familiar with the Boys and Girls Clubs. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we're doing as an organization that we're working towards is building these community centers that are like the Boys and Girls Clubs, but it's also teaching media. Because media, if you don't know media in, in the, coming into the fourth industrial revolution, you don't really have a shot. That's just the way it is, but we won't go into that sermon right now. But we all, that, that safe place for former trafficking victims, abuse victims, and just youth in general, having a safe place to be able to go, to play, to learn. But also, I know that I know this from my own experience and where I got the vision for this was the realization that when a kid feels safe, they're going to talk. Yes. They're going to share everything with you. They yes. may not talk to their parents. They may not talk to their teacher. But when they feel safe, it's going to come out of them one way or the other. And so one of the things that was super important in these community centers that we're building is that we want to have somebody like yourself there um, and other, other teachers that can help, that can bring in the, 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 the things that they need to help them. Because if you can break the cycle, it's a lot easier to heal a wounded child than a grown-ass man. Yes. The because my healing journey was hell. Yes. So. That's part of our vision. So if it doesn't work out with the public schools, give us a call. Absolutely. I'm about <laughs> spreading the love everywhere. So yeah. well, I'm I can tell already. it out of you and I'm not terrified of you because I was like, if she's a psychiatrist. She's not going to like what I have to say. No, so. no, no. I come from, <laughs> from a very different perspective. I think we had a great conversation and I appreciate your time and allowing me to share my thoughts and opinions. Well, I'm really grateful that you're here. Um, please, well. please tell everybody where they can follow you. And of course, in the media kit we publish, we're going to have all of your links and everything there. But tell the audience where they can support you. Absolutely. Please come and find me on TikTok, on Instagram, at the.neurodiverse.teacher. Same thing with the website, www.theneurodiverseteacher.com. So I, I really have enjoyed the time getting to chat with you. This has been really insightful. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Thank Allison. You. Take care. You too. Bye, everyone. Bye. That was wow, interesting. That was so cool. I needed that just as a mom. That's why I invited you to be I here. know. Well, well I know that, that you look pretty. Thank you. I know the next steps to get my kids what they need when they're in school. I'm going to the top. Everyone's scared of me, but they have no idea. They should be scared of me. If She's the one. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here. God bless you, and we will see you next time. Bye.